Good morning. Welcome to the vineyard. I hear that the weather's going to get cooler tomorrow, but it's pretty humid out there today, so I hope you don't sweat too much today. But today's uh, sermon is entitled Empowered. I'm going to start off with this statement. There's a big problem with living the Christian life. Um, Because basically it's not very easy to advance the kingdom of God when you are a flawed human being. You know, Jesus came to start this work of reconciliation between creation and God. And Jesus was perfect for the job. He understood the will of God for humanity. And he was totally unselfish and totally competent at carrying out everything that needed to be done. He was fully in touch with the Father, and he was fully in touch with the Holy Spirit. He was indeed the right person for the job. But then he decided to ascend to heaven, go back to the Father, and he handed the job over to us. So just, you know, take a look around the room and all the beautiful people around you. Just look at their faces. Just ponder for a moment how competent they may or may not be. And that's pretty terrifying, actually, if you think about it. This is, this is it. Jesus has gone and left the job to you and me. I, I don't know. You know, God is smart, but sometimes, you know, we're like, hey, God, you know, there's better people qualified for these jobs. Somebody I was speaking to the other day who's in a ministry job, we were joking around, and he was, he was basically, it was actually Des, Des who was here last week, and uh, looking at all the things that he's doing, and he was just laughing. He's like, you know, there are people out there who would be way better at our jobs than what we are. And I was like, yeah, totally. It's like, why do you think God's got us doing these jobs? Like, maybe he needs people to know that they're incompetent, so that they'll actually ask him for help. You know, maybe that's the problem. You know, if you're too competent, you won't ask God for help. Who knows? You know, so we've got this issue. We're not very good at it. We're, we're, we're inefficient. We, we aren't as competent as Jesus. And added to this uh, is the fact that we have this thing called the selfish nature. You know, we struggle with selfishness. We struggle with sin. Uh, we struggle with desiring things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And so, you know, to pursue the kingdom of God means to lay those things down. And to be honest, for many people, um, sometimes it's just way easier to be selfish. It's way easier just to spend our time watching TV or whatever our guilty pleasure is and not even thinking about anything that God might be wanting us to do at any particular time. Or even if you might have a sin of choice in your life, we all do. You know, that one thing that you know God doesn't want you to do, but you know, you secretly really like doing it. And so you return to it now and again, and for whatever reason, it's really difficult to not sin. You know, that's why we all do it, because it's actually really easy to sin and really difficult to not sin. And that kind of gets in the way of kingdom living. It gets in the way of doing the mission that God has laid out for us in the Bible. And then on the flip side of that, even if we do decide to be good little Christians or good little followers of Jesus, um, and we try to make sure we do everything right and we don't do anything wrong, we encounter other issues. Um, We have noticed, especially here in the South, that when people make their lives all about the rules, that it often does not play out very well. Um, they tend to become Pharisees 
very quickly. You know, one of my pastor friends, Brian Metzger, he pastors the Vineyard Church of Raleigh, and he posted on his Facebook page yesterday, he says, he said, you know, the reasons why we have to still learn about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, and the Zealots, all these groups that existed in Israel around the time of Jesus, he says, the reason why we have to learn about them is because when we become Christians, we have a predisposition towards being like them, you know? Because even though we don't like other people's rules, as human beings, we actually really like rules, especially if we get to make them and other people have to obey them. And so often as Christians and we, we want to be faithful to God, we sometimes make it about the rules and then we start to produce this legalism that we force on other people that just sucks the life out of them. And not to mention that Time often reveals that those people who are really into the rules uh, turn out to not be very good at obeying them themselves and end up breaking them in spectacular fashions and bringing shame on the church. So in short, we are a mess, but God has given us the job anyway. And so we need something, don't we? We need to be empowered. And so thankfully, this is no secret to God. You know, uh, this is one thing I have to remind myself about. You know, whenever something goes wrong in your life or you mess up, whatever it is that you're doing, and you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, I should really pray right now and say sorry to God. And you think, oh, how can I really bring myself to even speak to God? I'm so ashamed. He's going to be so disappointed in me. The thing about God is he wasn't really taken by surprise. He kind of saw it coming, you know. It's like, you know, when you have a friend who knows you really well and you go out and you do something really stupid, and you go and you tell your friend, and you're really disappointed that your friend isn't shocked. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever had this experience? You tell your friend what you did, and they're like, yeah. Like, aren't you shocked? Aren't you shocked that I, your good friend, person of such character, would do such a thing? Like, no, I saw it coming. This is, you're an accident waiting to happen. You just, you know, if you're walking through the lounge with a cup of coffee, you're going to drop it, you know. If somebody dangles a carrot in front of you, you're going to eat it. You're like, and you're horrified that this person knows you so well. And so in the same way, God knows us really well. He sees it coming, you know. But yet still, he chooses us for the task at hand. And so he knows that we need help. And so he has set a plan in motion to overcome our flaws and to equip us for the task that he's called us to. And so from the start, the earliest Christians who were also a mess, we spoke a little bit about that last week. Those early Christians who messed up so much and they did so many stupid things, just go read the New Testament and it's all there for everybody to see. But they were still empowered by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out the message of the gospel in such a way that it has managed to get to us today. And so this empowerment is what we want to explore this morning. So pray with me before we get on to our readings. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us alone. We thank you that when you ask us to do a job, that you offer us the resources to get it done. And when you ask us to live a particular way, you offer us the resources to strengthen us in order to live that way. And so this morning, as we just, ex just examine empowerment, Lord God Almighty, we just invite you to send your Holy Spirit. Would you soften our hearts and open us up towards receiving just more of you? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come this morning, that you would empower us, that you would strengthen us, that you would build us up, that you'd reveal to us 
the things that you want us to do for your kingdom. Guide my words, Lord, make them from you today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 4, so you can open that up on your Bible, or you can see the screen at the back. I double-checked it today, so I know the writing is big enough. So, uh, And it goes like this. Um, Peter and John have been arrested, um, and they've been before the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they've been told not to preach about Jesus anymore. They've been kind of threatened and a whole bunch of stuff, and then they've been released, and this is where we pick up the story. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage against rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with signs and wonders. Sorry, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, I find that really funny because in the story, just before that, when they're before the chief priests and they're being threatened and accused, and they're told, why are you doing this? Stop doing this. They actually turn around to all those people and say, look, you can tell us what you like, but we're going to do what God tells us to do, so, nah, you know, that kind, of, that kind of attitude, which, if you ask me, is pretty bold, okay? Because most of us would be like, ah, you know, get out there as fast as we can. And then when they go back to the house, they tell everybody the story, and then they say, look, we need... We need you to pray for us for boldness. And so like, like they felt like they weren't bold, which I find really surprising in the story, but we'll move on to that. First point today is this, is that we have an impossible task that is actually possible. You know, Jesus, throughout his ministry, when he's talking to his disciples and he's getting annoyed with people for their lack of faith, was pretty clear in those moments in communicating that the thinking of humankind often nullifies the great range of possible things that can be done. But the thing is, is to be in Christ, to be a follower of God, means that dreaming God-sized dreams is what the church of Jesus is supposed to do. And so he's telling stories throughout the Bible. One of the stories he tells is he's giving the rich people a hard time, right? And he's talking about how, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the, the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven, which is uncomfortable if you're a rich person, right? And so the disciples freak out. It's like, well, how can anyone be saved? Which I find quite an interesting statement in that story because the disciples must have thought they were rich if they said, how can anyone be saved? 
Never thought about that before. Anyway, so Jesus turns out and says, well, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so he's trying to tell that story to broaden their horizon and say, look, God can save anybody, you know, even a rich person. In those days, to get rich, you had to kind of be fairly, you know, cutthroat, you know. And so rich people had a bit of a reputation back then. Some do now, but not all. And so, uh, you know, technically speaking, we're all rich because we live here, you know. So anyway, let's not get into technicalities. And so this idea of, of dreaming the impossible, you know, we have a conference in the vineyard called Dreaming the Impossible. It's talked about having dreams of impossible things that can only happen if God is really the power behind them. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. And so, but the thing is, we have this problem. We have to be real, you know. In our culture, the culture that we live in, it's hard enough for the average Christian to raise their head above the social media parapet and confess, hey, all the stuff that we're talking about, all the stuff we're doing in our culture, it's kind of, we're kind of really sinful and we need to be forgiven and we need to be saved from it. You, know, you start talking that way, you're going to get a lot of grief from a lot of people real quick. You know? And so people get nervous because we're becoming a shame culture. You don't have to actually, you know, in our culture, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, and that's it. You know, you can get shamed really easily just for saying something that was traditional five years ago. And so we're in a culture where people are nervous to be using their freedom of speech. Let me put it that way. Never mind being bold enough to step out into the power encounters that we talk a lot about here in the vineyard, stepping out by sharing a word of prophecy with someone or, or a word of encouragement or a word of wisdom that we feel God's laid on our heart for someone and going up to a person and speaking that over them or even stepping out and praying for their healing in Target. You know, these type of things are pretty scary to do because we live in a culture that kind of is like, why would you do that kind of thing? We live in an unbelieving culture that kind of doesn't really believe that God reaches into the world. And so to be people who believe that God reaches into the world and does impossible things is to go against the flow of culture. And so when we get discouraged by that view, by that knowledge, we need to step back and remember who the king is. And we have to remember what he is about. Now I've said before, that in the spiritual realm and in the physical airwaves all around us that we're listening to all the time, they're, they're, we're bombarded every day with information, with belief, with worldview. There's a battle for our minds. And, you know, and part of living a kingdom lifestyle, part of asking God to empower you, begins with the battle of the mind. You know, the thinking of the culture and the world around us in general is dulled and is heavily tipped against the lordship of Jesus. And we have to acknowledge that. And so when we look at all the things that the gospel invites us into, you know, the discipling of others and the exercising of the gifts of the Spirit and, and the seeing of amazing things that God can do and just basically contributing to the growth of his people here on the earth, the thinking of the world says, no, that is just not possible. It's not possible for people to change. It's not possible for... Uh, these things to occur. Healing is impossible. But the thinking of the kingdom is, is, well, yes, in Christ Jesus, all things are possible. And so our first battle is belief. Do we believe that God is breaking into the lives of people here on this earth? Do we believe that he wants to heal people from their pain? 
Do you believe that God wants to draw people to himself and make their lives better, not just in eternity, but right here, right now? Do we believe that? You know, because some people don't. You know, even Christians out there like, hey, well, you know, trials and tribulations, you know, we, we believe we get saved, but that's it. You just got to, life's going to suck from here on out, and that's what you got to do. You know, but we don't believe that. Anymore. We believe that God wants to bring his kingdom and make it tangible here on this planet through your life. Are you starting to believe that you are invited to be a part of that process of bringing God's kingdom in? Just wherever you are in the small ways that you can do it. Because you are. And God wants to equip you and to empower you to do that in whatever way is suitable for you. And so each one of us has an invitation to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is waiting for us to say, come empower me. Come help me to live the life that you want me to live. Come give me the gifts that you want me to have and help me to use them for the glory of God and for the well-being of people. You know, when Jesus was doing his appearing all over the place thing after his resurrection and just generally freaking his disciples out, I would actually have liked to have been in the room for that, you know, kind of minding your own business. I don't know what sports they had back in, you know, Jerusalem days, but, you know, maybe they were talking about the chariot race from last week, you know. Did you see, you know, did you see, I don't know, whatever, Claudicus wipeout on the second bend coming into the home stretch, blah, 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 yak, yak, yak about nothing. All of a sudden, boom, Jesus is in the room, right? Doors locked, everything. There he is, holes in his wrist, holes. I mean, I, I reckon people must have jumped, you know? I would have got a fright, and I make funny noises when I get a fright, you know, to the amusement of my family. But, and so there we are, Jesus appears to them, and he says this to them. He goes, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I'm not going to focus on that second part, but it's, it's before Pentecost. He breathes on, breathes on them and he gives them the Holy Spirit. Nothing weird happens. They just receive the Holy Spirit. He just breathes on them with, you know, his new body breath, which must have been good. Okay, because I hope the resurrected bodies we have don't have bad breath. So, you know, that's another thing to think about, about resurrected bodies. You can really get distracted in your faith. By the way, but that's not what we're talking about today. And so after his resurrection, Jesus breathes on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. As Jesus saying, hey, you're getting, you're getting ready for a job. And then afterwards, later at Pentecost, they have another experience with the Holy Spirit that is more of an empowering experience, is how we describe it. The Holy Spirit comes to us, and they're empowered, and the gifts are released, and they do like weird and wonderful things from then on out. And so, you know, as we begin to examine this, we have to ask ourselves the questions. Have we received the Holy Spirit? Do we have the Holy Spirit? Now, here in the vineyard, we believe that everyone receives the Holy Spirit when they first put their faith in Jesus, when they first believe and become Christians, so to say. And it is by that Spirit, really, that we see the truth of Jesus. We can't see the truth of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. But we believe there is more. You know, classic Pentecostal teaching would say that you kind of get some of the Spirit when, you, when you're saved, 
But there's this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit afterwards. And you can go to the Bible and see the baptism of the Holy Spirit happening all over the place. And that is like the real filling of the Spirit. And, you know, in classic Pentecostal, although not all Pentecostals would believe this now, classic Pentecostalism would say that this sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be tongues, right? But that's kind of changing, uh, and there's a whole complicated reason to that. But here in the vineyard, we kind of, uh, oh, I've lost my place. Oh, well, I'll find it again. And so in the vineyard, we teach that, you know, when you become a follower of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but there is more. And it's, and so the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, is something that you can have as well. And it's not like you have the Spirit in your heart. You become a Christian, you have the Spirit in your heart, now you pray for, for an empowerment of the Spirit so that you know, get the Holy Spirit in your arms and your legs too. Because a lot of people think that way about the Holy Spirit. Oh, you know, I'm a Christian, but I need to be filled because I've, I've only got a little bit. You know, I've got, I've got some here. And then when I get filled, I'm going to get some in my left leg. And, when I, and, then, and then I'll be really filled and then I'll go everywhere, you know. And that's kind of like, it's quite, an, it's quite a Greek way of thinking of a thing. It's a little bit of an existential crisis happening there for people. But it's more about empowerment. It's more about surrender, I dare say. And it's kind of like when you have deeper encounters with God, you feel like you're getting filled more and more. Right? That's just how anybody testifies as they grow in their faith and they have encounters with the Holy Spirit or they feel like they're encountering more of the presence of God in their life because, you know, everybody uses different language for it. You've got to listen to what they're saying. They feel like they're getting more of God, and they are, but really it's more like God is getting more of them. It's kind of like when we first become Christians, we think we've given our lives to Jesus, but really... We've actually just given a little bit of ourselves to Jesus. And as we go and we press in and we ask God for more of him, what he does is he asks for more of us. And when we give him that more, it's basically we, we give more access, of our, more access to our world to God. And then he comes in and he fills that part of our life, for want of a better description. And we feel like we've gotten more of God. But actually we had him all along. We're just saying yes to him and, and, and opening ourselves up to that empowerment, to that filling, if you want to call it. Language is funny, all us charismatics and Pentecostals, we argue about it all the time, but it's basically like this. God gives his spirit, the more we surrender, the more we ask for it, this empowerment, this deeper filling comes, but it's really about a, it's a relationship between us and God. We're giving him more of ourselves, and as we give him more of ourselves, we're able to encounter, engage with more of the Holy Spirit, and be given gifts and be released into giftings. My, I'm not really explaining it as well as I wanted to. I should have stuck more to the script. And so the question for us, each, of, each of us is this. Are we growing in that or are we static? Do you need to ask for more of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you someone that feels weak as a Christian? Do you feel like you need more empowering to live out the life that God's asked you to live? If so, God is inviting you to be empowered to do that. He's inviting you to surrender yourself to more of the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And when you do that, you're going to be feeling like you've been filled or encouraged. Everybody feels a different way when they encounter the Spirit because the Holy Spirit works with people where they are. And even Jesus needed that empowerment 
to get to the next level. You know, this is what the whole dove thing is about at his baptism. You know, when you get into technical arguments about how the Holy Spirit works, people often say, did Jesus have the Holy Spirit before his baptism? You know, some people would say no. But most of us would say, yeah, Jesus had the Holy Spirit. Why do we say that? Because Jesus had never sinned. And he had a normal physical body. So he needed the empowerment of the Holy Spirit not to sin. There had to be that relationship. He needed the revelation of the Spirit to know that God was his Father. There's all these things going on, right? So general belief is we believe that Jesus had the Holy Spirit before his baptism. But he wasn't doing weird and wonderful stuff before then, was he? Well, unless he was like a really good carpenter. Like maybe he was making like exceptionally good doors, you know, or tables and junk like that. But we wouldn't call those like works of power. But it's good. Maybe he was gifted. Maybe he wasn't a very good carpenter. We don't know, right? But anyway, so Jesus arrived, gets baptized, and then the dove, the spirit comes down upon him in the form of a dove and rests upon him. And uh, I've always wondered about that. And then I was, we were at watching the Finger of God uh, 2 movie over at uh, Bridgeway the other week. And in that video, Bill Johnson, who's a pastor out in Bethel, is talking about that. And he talks about how, you know, he says, Jesus had the Spirit, but when that dove came down upon him, that was him being empowered because the Spirit came down and rested upon him. And it was like Jesus was submitting to the Father, saying yes to the ministry that he was about to engage in, and God empowered him in that moment. And so even Jesus needed the more. And if you go and you read through the Gospels, you'll notice Jesus often went off by himself to spend time with God, to get back to basics and say, Father, will you give me more? Will you strengthen me? Will you empower me? Because he needed to continually surrender his will to God so that he could receive the empowerment of the Spirit. Even Jesus needed to just look at the Garden of Gethsemane where he's sweating blood. Because he doesn't want to be crucified. Jesus loves you, but he didn't want to go to the cross. Sorry to say. But he went. He was willing. But he had to ask the Father to empower him to do that. How was he empowered? By the Spirit. So if Jesus needed to grow in it, so do I. And so do you. It's the next level. And so Pentecost, and some people would disagree with me on this, I'd say Pentecost was like it. The, the, the disciples had re- received the Spirit, but they hadn't received the empowerment of the Spirit. They needed to go to a new level of surrender. And when they went to that new level of surrender by seeking after God, seeking after God, he was able to give them an empowerment. He was able to release to them a level of gifting because they were ready to step out in obedience and, and do the stuff that God was going to ask them to do. And so there's this connection. There's this connection to surrender, to willingness, and to empowerment that happens in us. And, it, and it's different for everybody because God has a sense of humor. Because every time you try to put God in a box, what does he do? He breaks out of your box, you know. I, you know, I was going to make a Calvinistic joke there, but I won't because you might be a Calvinist and you might get cross with me. Anyway, so, so you got this idea. God does this all the time. He just breaks out of boxes. But generally speaking, that's how it works. Every once in a while, you meet somebody who's like not a very good Christian, but they're super duper gifted and empowered by the Spirit. And, you know, that just throws all sorts of problems into the, the, the pot for you. But for you, what you need to know is like there's, there, there are, there, there's more that you can receive. There's a deeper encounter of God that you can have. And it's not just about equipping you so you can go do the stuff for God. It's, it's so you can know God better. It's about relationship. It's about this 
doing things together. God delights to do things with you. That blows my mind. I'm like, why? You know? I mean, Rachel likes to do stuff with me now and again. She doesn't like to watch the spring bucks with me because I get upset. But I mean, actually she does. But God delights to do stuff with us all the time. I find that fascinating. And it's a privilege and an honor that each of us can really step into. And so, you know, we have a decision to make. And it's a, it's a worthy decision. Do we want to invite more of the Holy Spirit into our lives? Do we want to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? You know, lots of people have different theories about this baptism too, by the way. Some people believe there's one baptism. In the vineyard, we're a little bit looser with that. Some people say, do you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, we believe in the first baptism of the Holy Spirit. What do you mean? And we also believe in the second one and the third one and the fourth one, the fifth one. However ones we can get, we'll take it. Just bring it in, you know? Um, that kind, of, that kind of thinking. But we need, to, we need to invite it. We need to want it. We need to want that empowerment. We need to want that closeness of God in our lives. And that's actually the scary part for us. Because most of us are scared of God, right? We're not, we don't fear God like the Bible talks about fearing God. We're just outright scared. We're like, hey, I really want more of God. I really want to be able to pray for people so that they'll be healed. But I also don't want God coming in and getting all up in my business. Because he might ask me to do something awkward, like pray for somebody in Target. And when I go to Target, I want to look at boxes. I don't want to pray for old ladies on Zimmer frames, because that's scary, right? And so we have this, this weariness about God, because we have a hunch that God is going to ask us to do the most incredibly awkward thing that there is to do, that we don't even know exists, but he knows it exists, and if we give ourselves to him, he's going to get us to do it. And so we have this difficulty, there's this battle within us of the self, Wanting more of God, but on our terms. And if you're honest with yourself, probably every single one of us in the room is like that. You know, and, and you know, if you go on social media, most Christians on social media are like that. You can tell by how they argue. They all love the God that meets their stipulations. But are we willing to receive the Spirit on His terms? Are we willing to receive God on His terms? That's where it gets really scary and awkward, but also at the same time really fun. And um, it leads to a life of adventure. It sounds really simple, submitting to spirit and just stepping out in faith. We should all do it. It could be fun. But our doubt and our selfishness will always be the problem that gets in the way. But God's not intimidated by your doubt and your selfishness and your sin. He is patient. He's always inviting you to come and get more of him. And he's willing to wait your entire lifetime to get there. And that is the good thing about God. But don't wait till you're 80, you know. Make a decision today to want just a little bit more of God, to, to, to be empowered, to be overtaken more by the Holy Spirit in your life. Like, just remember Des's testimony last week. If you weren't here, it's online. Just go to the church website. I won't be offended. It's at the end of the sermon, so you can fast forward. It's the last five minutes. Our friend Des from Scotland was here, and he was just talking about how, you know, the life of being led by the Holy Spirit is just more about saying yes, you know, um, because to, to encounter the depth of the Holy Spirit in your life 
It really just requires yes. And when you say yes to God, it, it takes you on all sorts of weird and wonderful adventures. And some awkward moments too, but you know, we all laugh about those afterwards. It gives you something to talk about with your friends at the coffee shop. And so God invites us to step into this more, to, to, to be a kingdom advancing people, to be the type of people that change the world one person at a time. But he doesn't ask us to do it alone. He says that he will empower us by filling us with his Holy Spirit, who is freely given to us. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit being a wind that blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from. There's just something unique about it. And it says, and it's the same with the people of the Spirit. Those people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they're like that. They just, they just do things that are kingdom-orientated, and nobody kind of understands what's going on. And so today, I just want to pray for your filling of the Spirit, your empowering. I want to direct you, even this week, to invite you to keep your eyes open and act on hunches and feelings that you might feel God saying, hey, that person looks like they need some encouragement. Go over them and, and say something like this. Maybe God's giving you a bit of revelation. Go and step and give someone a word of encouragement. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. But you do it, and you never know. Something might happen. Or you see somebody that's, you feel like they need some prayer, and you go offer them prayer, and all of a sudden God comes through and does something amazing in their lives. You don't know. But you can only see those things if you're willing to see them. Because that's what Jesus did, you know. Jesus said something interesting. He said, I, I only do what I see my Father doing. What did that mean? That meant that he was trying to be led by the Holy Spirit while he was doing it successfully. The rest of us are trying, okay? And so Jesus would go around and he would pick and choose people who he healed because he'd be walking along and he just, he'd sense the Spirit say to him, go pray for that person, go heal that person. And Jesus was so in tune with God that if, if he felt God saying, go heal that person, Jesus was like pretty confident that they were going to get healed. You and me, we have a crisis, you know, I've told you some of my stories of praying for people for healing. You know, oh, I feel like God wants me to pray for that person. Awesome. Oh, wait a minute. What happens if God is just doing this to embarrass me? And I'm going to go there and, you know, do something crazy like pull them out of a chair and they're going to fall on the floor. And who knows? I've, people have done that. It's very embarrassing. Don't do that. Okay? God asks you to pray for someone in a wheelchair. Just say, do you feel anything? Do you feel like you can move your leg right now? And if they do, awesome. But don't yank them out. Okay? Don't do that. That's not being led by the Spirit. That's getting a little bit too excited. And um, yes, it's awkward. It's very awkward. Being led by the Spirit is also being gentle and caring and all that kind of stuff too, you know, so don't throw that out. But God wants to invite us into more, you know. And what, is, you know, what, what do you need to do to invite that more into your life? Do you need to let go of some idol? Do you need to let go of some fear? Who knows what it is for you? But the more is always better than what you give up for it. Hey, Jen, do you want to come on up? And so I invite you all, if you can, just to stand as we just move into ministry time. Here at the Vineyard, we just end our service with um, a thing called ministry time. It's just a time of response at the end where we just invite God to speak to us. And 
Um, we just take that time out of our busy weeks to quiet ourselves so that God can break into our lives. So let's just pray. Holy Spirit, would you, would you just move freely in the room right now? Would you come?